Man, everybody, good morning. Restoration, how are we? You got to be more alive than this. All right, okay. We got work to do. Um, just want to make sure. Shelly, are we recording? Cool. Um, hey, I want to make sure that everybody knows and gets to meet um, the newest baby on the screen. Nora Bloom Nyman, and she was born Friday morning. I know, right? So excited for the Nymans, and I can't believe they're not here, but whatever. <laughs> Get your priorities straight. Actually, I think they're still going to check it out of the hospital this morning. So um, we're so excited for the Nymans, and um, man, making our way. It's great. M more and more babies. Come, come on out. Um, this morning, we are going to get started, but we're going to get started with offering. Um, and so if you're new, you can let this go by. Um, and if you're new, we're just so glad you're here. It, to be in a new, uh, in a church for the first time, uh, especially one that looks set up differently and, um, and hasn't, um, it, just, it just probably looks and seems different. We're glad you're here. Uh, but you can let that pass by if you're new, and if you're uh, part of this place, we're just excited for you to be a part of this with us, so, but good morning. We are going to be in Galatians. Uh, we're going to be in Galatians. Who is this guy? Usually I have some time to warm up through singing, you know, get my mouth working. Um, so here we go. This morning, Galatians chapter 6, but I want to start off by talking a little bit about some history. Um, there's a guy, a famous man named Edward Bernays, and if you've studied marketing, you must have studied Edward Bernays. If you didn't study Edward Bernays, go back to your teacher and demand your money back. Um, Edward Bernays was the nephew of Sigmund Freud. Edward Bernays was working, he worked as, a, as an intelligence officer in the United States uh, military during the war, during the World War II. And what he realized is some of his uh, uncle's uh, work was being used by the Nazis to communicate propaganda. And in his understanding of how this was being wor uh, worked out, basically the Nazis used Freud's idea about the unconscious self and the unconscious drives in all of us to appeal to kind of our, um, to kind of our fears and our wants, and, and, and Hitler would use this to steer the people. Now, after war, war, World War II, let's do some mouth <laughs> exercises. After World War II, Bernays began to think, well, maybe I could utilize some of these strengths, some of these uh, tips, some of these ways in which um, the Nazis used their campaign in order to market, in order to appeal to this, you know, huge American culture that is growing as far as uh, goods and services. And so how could I use this during peacetime? And um, he, he described basically the masses, and this is uh, Bernays, he's, he's utilizing some of his uncle's research. He described the masses, basically the public, uh, 
as irrational and subject to herd instinct, meaning if skilled practitioners could use crowd psychology and psychoanalysis, uh, they could control large groups of people in advertising. And he's actually been called the father of public relations. And a lot of his research has been used in marketing. So for instance, one of his first ever ad campaigns was for big tobacco. And they brought Edward Bernays in and said, listen, only half of the population demographic is actually using our cigarettes. It's only men, for the most part, who are smoking. We want to get the ladies to smoke. So right around this time, there's a whole bunch of uh, women's rights movements and there's marches. And what happened was, is Edward Bernays uh, put in place some models and photographers during this march that at one really uh, important moment of the march, the women, these models who were planted by Bernays, pulled out packs of cigarettes and smoked and got their pictures taken for the newspaper and it was put into magazines and advertisement. And so what the cigarette became over time, and you remember watching old movies, and, and back in the day, old movies, they never showed sex scenes or anything like that, but you knew that took place, why? Because there was a cigarette involved. That was all Edward Bernays. And he used the cigarette as a trigger it became what, what advertisers call an anchor. And the anchor became that thing which moved the masses. So very soon after that, everybody was smoking. Now, it kind of went on and on and on, and including this one in amazing campaign that actually switched the public opinion on the Volkswagen car. Now, if you have a Volkswagen, I'm going to totally ruin it for you. But the Volkswagen, the history behind the Volkswagen was it was actually the Nazi car. It was actually the Volks is, is the people. It's, it's kind of an Aryan term, meaning the people of the land. And the people of the land needed a wagon, therefore Volkswagen. Now, how do you turn that word, that, that idea of the people's wagon into uh, a free, um, you know, kind of a, uh, kind of a hippie California car. Well, you change the mindset. You change the trigger points. You change the anchors. And so what was the Nazi car, and no one would have ever driven, became the car of freedom and love and camping. <laughs> and whatever. And this is all due to marketing. And it's a fascinating uh, documentary on this if you want to watch any of it. Um, it's called The Century of Self. You can find it on YouTube. It's actually really good. Um, but all that to say is, is that underneath all of us are some kind of hidden some subconscious desires and um, yearnings that we don't really, we can't really articulate, but they're there. And advertisers know it, and Edward Bernays knew it, and what we need to understand is that they're there, that ultimately this is part two of what we started talking about last week on the flesh, 
that underneath us, that we have a, we have a heart that's bent away from God, that we have a heart that, that, that really believes what um, Eve thought in the garden, that, that God is actually holding out on us, that there's something missing, and if we just take control of our lives, as uh, Augustine said, instead turn in on ourselves, like in on ourselves for, for pleasure and for satisfaction, that we'll be fine. And so basically where I want to go today, very briefly, is that our acts and our habits of our mind and our body, they either sow to the flesh, okay, sow to that kind of I want and I desire and reap slavery and sin, or it's we sow our acts actually sow to the spirit, and yield a character, a character and a destiny of life and freedom. So, sowing to the f- flesh or sowing to the spirit. And, and this isn't a new idea, this idea that there's this undercurrent of desire inside of us. But the way of Jesus has a new contribution to make to it um, in the sense that we, we actually have access to the spirit to war against the desire of our flesh. And so... Uh, here we go, Galatians, uh, Galatians 6. Oh my goodness. Uh, we're going to start. Verse 1. Brothers and sisters, so basically he's saying, hey family, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now, what's really interesting, I just want to remind you that this is a letter being written to people who follow Jesus. This is a letter circulated to a group of churches in the whole region of Galatia to people who follow Jesus. And so he's assuming that the people in the room are followers of Jesus and that they have the spirit. He says this, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So beware of your own desires. Beware of those things inside of you and be very careful. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens. Now, what's really important about that is a lot of times we, um, we quote that um, and it's about just helping each other through a hard day. That's not what Paul's getting at here. Paul's getting at this idea of temptation and the desire of our flesh. And he's like, you actually should carry that burden with each other. Um, he goes on, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive they deceive themselves. He's like, you are not immune. You are not above any of this. Each one should test their own actions. Each one should have some self-examination and, and reflect on their actions and their thoughts and, their, and the things they do. Um, and then he goes on. He says some tricky things here we're not going to totally get into, but he says, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to, any, to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Then he says this in verse 7, do not be deceived. Remember, we've been playing with this idea. We get this idea from Dallas Willard that the devil's uh, strategy is deceitful ideas that play to disordered desires and that are played out in a sinful society. So we are, he's like, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked here. 
And then he goes on to say, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. So notice, this is interesting. Notice that last part. Um, Whoever sows to please the flesh. A lot of times what people think, um, this is like my roommate in college. My roommate in college, um, and I've shared this, (laughs) I think I've shared this before, but he used to get so upset when the Broncos lost. And he would say it was God punishing him (laughs) because he was having sex with his girlfriend. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) you, you have such a weird version of who God is. But what's interesting here is this isn't God punishing, is it? And a lot of times we think that most of the punishment we receive in our lives, we think it's God. No, it's, it's we reap what we sow. From the flesh you will reap destruction. And, and, and I think this is like a theme all throughout Scripture, that, it, that God isn't the one doing the damage to us. <laughs> God doesn't do that. It's us. We are reaping what we sow. And, and here's the good news. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And eternal life is, this is a tricky phrase, this is, this is, we translate this eternal life, but um, a good English translation would actually be the life of the age to come. And it's not about quantity of life. So when you think of eternal life, it's just like never ending and it sounds like a, a lot of life. <laughs> um, but it's about the kind of life that is on offer when you follow Jesus and it's fully realized in the age to come, but it's offered to us here and now and we begin to reap that eternal life, the life in the age to come now. That's what Paul's getting at. And so a better translation would be whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap the life of the age to come. Now. And so let's move on, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, it's, it's easy to forget, um, and sometimes we apply this verse to kind of a hard season in life, like many of you are experiencing with very young children and not getting good sleep or Maybe you're going through a job transition or there's a difficult diagnosis. And, we, and this, is a, this is a verse that really is about your flesh and struggling and, 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 and running the race in such a way, as Paul says, to win the prize. And this idea, what we want to camp out in, is this idea of that we reap what we sow that this is a law of returns, okay? So, and this isn't a Christian concept. You hear this all the time, right? Um, Karma, you know, that idea. Um, You get what you pay for, okay? Any more phrases? Come on. What goes around comes around. You know this. Sleep in the bed you make. Maybe there's more. 
No. Well, if you think of them, you know, shoot them out. Jesus said this a few times. He actually said, give and it will be given to you. He said, press down, shaken together, and with full measure, you will use, it will be measured out to you. Um, this is not a Christian concept. It's a human concept. And so really what this is, is the law of returns. And the law of returns is a couple things. It's every action has a reaction, okay? And that reaction is often disproportionate to the action, meaning it comes back in different ways, in different degrees. Um, and so some of you who are into, um, you know, the idea of compound interest and things like that, you understand that a little put away at the beginning does something at the end, okay? But this is an agrarian economy that we're talking about that Galatians is in. Um, and so this idea of sowing a tomato seed, a small little tomato seed, and you get back a big plant full of tomatoes. So a poison oak seed. You guys are lucky out here. As Californians, we had poison oak. Oh, man. I've got stories. You got stories, Dan? Oh. I look like, I, 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 at one time, I looked like I, I just like had leprosy. I mean, I was just awful. Um, so you sow a small seed. You get a huge plant in return. The law of returns. Listen to what Cornelius Plantiga says in his book, The Brevery of Sin. He says this. No matter what we sow, the law return of return applies. Good or evil, love or hate, justice or tyranny, grapes or thorns, a gracious compliment or a peevish complaint. Whatever we invest, we tend to get back with interest. Lovers are loved, haters hated. Haters gonna hate. <laughs> Forgivers usually, see that's where it came from, Cornelius Plantinga. Forgivers usually get forgiven. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. So this isn't a Christian concept. It's just how things are. We can't get around it. Paul applies this law to your spiritual formation and mine. This idea that if we reap uh, a harvest with the Spirit, it's going to bring back a different return than if we reap a harvest in the flesh. Okay? And he's pitting both of those two together. This idea of intentionally forming and being unintentionally formed. You and I are unintentionally formed all the time, all day long. But this idea of intentional formation is what Paul is getting at. This idea of sowing to the Spirit. Because every time we give in to the desires of the flesh... We plant something in the soil of our heart and it takes root and it grows into a character. It actually gets bigger. It actually starts to take over. Same thing goes with planting with the Spirit. We plant something with the Spirit and, and life in the kingdom and that takes root and grows. And so here's Cornelius Plantiga again. It's a few more quotes. Don't worry, you'll make it. Inside a given human life, the dynamics of sowing and reaping, re-sowing lie behind the process of character formation. He said dispositions and acts form character, which then form dispositions and acts. A mere state of mind can eventually swell into become a person's destiny. A fuller statement of the great law of returns would therefore go something like this. 
Pay attention to this. Sow a thought, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap another deed. Sow some deeds, reap a habit. Sow some habits and reap a character. Sow a character, reap two thoughts. The new thoughts then begin to pursue careers of their own. (laughs) See what I'm saying? It just starts to build. Okay? The law of returns is the mechanism in which you and I are formed, for good or for not good, okay? to become our true selves or our diminished self. Okay? The true self is the one that God has on offer, meaning life in the spirit, um, life in the age to come. The life that Jesus has on offer is actually uh, the fullest version of life. When Jesus says, I've come to give you life to the full, and this, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the difference between the two. So we make decisions, and our decisions make us. And, and it's really fun when we apply this stuff when the things like working out and, and, and managing our email and things like that. But, but when it has to do with our spiritual formation, it's a big deal. Um, I love what uh, Jamie A.K. Smith says in this book, and, and some of you have picked up this book. I know I was just talking to Brad about this book a little while ago. He's in, he's in the next room, but this book is super formative. He says, your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. This is because our action, our doing, bubbles up from our loves, which, as we've observed, are habits we've acquired through the practices we're immersed in. So that's just the idea that we just talked about before. That means the formation of my loves and desires can be happening under the hood of consciousness. I may be learning to love a a telos or a purpose that I'm not even aware of and that nonetheless governs my life in unconscious ways. And this is that idea that those marketers and those advertisers, they get a hold of those things that are under the hood for us. Our wants and our fears. Most of those things come from those two categories. The I want category and the I fear category. Okay? And that so much of what happens in us comes from those two places. You know, a lot of times in Christian circles, the conversation about hell is, um, uh, you know, we picture like the the Dante's Inferno kind of version um, of the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And and it's been used, this concept of hell has been used for uh, Christian preachers for many years to say, well, do you know where you're going when you die? But what's interesting is all through scripture, that's really not ultimately what's being said. What's being said is you actually have, uh, hell is a chosen thing. Meaning, um, it's not a one-time choice where I'm choosing heaven or I'm choosing hell. It's, it's a series of choices that lead to a place where we become the kind of person that is more formed for one or the other. Meaning, anger and lust and greed and fear and gossip and all these things. We make little choices every day to become the kind of person that enjoys the company of those choices. And so 
I'm not here to tell you that there's no such thing as hell. I'm here to tell you that ultimately, I don't want to find out by the choices that I make every day. That Jesus says, you have, a, you have a choice. You can follow me and experience life to the full. Or you can buy into all these lies of the flesh and of this world. And you can experience what this ultimately manifests. Now, there's tools to combat all this. The idea that Jesus is getting at is that spiritual warfare is spiritual discipline. That Paul's getting at, that Jesus gets at. And and how do we know this? It's because Jesus goes into the desert. He's led by the Spirit into the desert. He has a relationship with the Spirit. And by his fasting, which is a spiritual discipline, and by his silence and solitude, and by his scripture memorization, he is able to push down, push away the desires of the flesh, and experience the desire of the Spirit. Jesus shows us this. So the idea behind this would be, like a boxer trains and has repetitions, and like um, somebody who works out has trains and repetitions for things, like a musician does scales, um, a follower of Jesus has disciplines. And what Paul is saying is that it has to be intentional, meaning You have two choices. You can sow a habit, you can sow a deed, you can sow a thought with the spirit, or you can do that with the flesh. It's the sum of our choices. This quote is not on the screen, but it's from C.S. Lewis, and I thought you guys might like it. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you the part of you that chooses into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into that uh, that is in a, a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. That's a sobering quote. And I think that what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying is to be the kinds of people that say no to destructive desires and say yes to the Spirit is really what we're all about. And we can have a conversation about shame and guilt. And, and, and ultimately what shame is, is, is a negative feeling about who you are. But guilt is a negative feeling about what you've done. Which is separated from who we are. So guilt isn't always, really, it's not that bad. It's not, it's not, um, it's not what shame does. Shame actually says some things about you in, in, in the who you are that is not true of you. 
And scripture would combat that. And being a child of God would combat that. And that's important work to do. But I think it's also important to pay attention to guilt in our lives. Because I think guilt can be very healthy. And so this morning, one of the things we're going to be do, because it is healthy to examine our lives, it's healthy to look at the patterns in our lives and what are the things we're sowing, what are the things that we're continuing to do, um, and, and, and seeing what, how that trajectory will play out. So, if you're continually uh, um, getting more and more angry in your life, and you begin to feed on the emotion of anger and begin to, then you're, you're, it, becomes, it starts to become a habit when you drive. It starts to become a habit when you're frustrated. And, and, and then you begin, I mean, after 15, 20 years, you become the kind of person that is just angry all the time. And, and people describe, begin to describe you as an angry person. The get off my lawn guy, which I started to become. I, it's like, I, there's, I'm just being honest. We live on a corner. People speed around this corner and down our street. And I think I've yelled at people that I now begin to know in my life, meaning I have begun to know people that drove this certain car by my house while I'm mowing my lawn way too fast, and I would yell, slow down, in a meaner way than that. And I began to realize, like, I don't want to be that guy on the corner that everybody feels like they're going to get yelled at by. Now, that's a small little thing. What I'm saying is no one wakes up, let's get serious, no one wakes up in the morning and says to themselves, today would be a great day for an affair. No one does that. But through a series of small choices, internet searches, innocent flirtations, whatever, and I've sat with people who've said that's how it started. Started with sowing little seeds, discontent, Maybe a thought here, whatever. What I'm telling you is we have the opportunity of the people of God, as people who are filled with God's spirit, to reflect on our lives in such a way as the spirit can reveal to us what needs to be rooted out. Before it becomes a pattern, before it becomes a habit, before it becomes our lives. So this morning, 